Welcome to The Friday Habit with Benjamin Manley and Mark Labriola II. The Friday Habit is for creators, entrepreneurs, and agency owners looking for actionable ideas on how to grow their business and be more profitable. We'll pull from our combined knowledge of over 20 years and interview thought leaders that will inspire you and give you the motivation you need to kick your business into high gear. Buckle up. It's Friday. Yay. Or Friday, as I like to call it. I love that. We have a team member of ours who goes Friday on all of our calls. Makes me oh, so happy. Every <laughs> Friday, we look forward to it. It just brings a smile to your face, right? It does. It does. That's why we try to live every day like it's Friday, because each day you can have that kind of excitement and feeling. It just It's a Friday a mindset. It's just That's a mindset. Right. Exactly. Hey, you might be listening to this uh, podcast right now and be like, hey, who's that female voice amongst Ben and Mark? Well, it is Natalie Dawson. Uh, She is the EVP and partner of Cardone Ventures, a management consulting firm designed to help businesses grow, and the author of the new book, Teamwork, How to Build a High-Performance Team. Uh, This book covers all the nuts and bolts of what goes into building an incredible team, including what it takes to attract strong talent, how to write a compelling job description, and even the best practices for onboarding someone new. So Natalie, welcome to the Friday Habit. Thank you for having me. You even describing what the book is about, like most people, when they hear those things, unless they're really in the thick or the throes of having to do this, it's like the most boring content, like how to write the perfect job description. (laughs) No one wants to read that book unless you are the person who needs to read that book, but we make it fun. (laughs) That's, yeah. Yeah. I'm that person right now. I, I need help writing job descriptions because, yeah, I mentioned before we started the show, but we're a team of eight now looking to hire three more, and I need help uh, figuring out exactly how to attract the right people. Yes. Isn't that like the question? I mean, I could just go into that. I don't know if that's where you want to start. I just kind of jumped <laughs> right well, hey, in Before there. we get to that, I got a question for you. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather be famous in your career field or celebrity famous? Oh, my career field. I want to be the person that is known for how you build teams that work. So definitely Mm. in the career field. I don't know what celebrity famous gets you besides a lot of crazy people and stalkers. Well, it might get you a free milkshake or something, too. That's true. Okay. Well, what would you guys choose? (laughs) Or some Gucci like bags and stuff. I think I might go celebrity famous because then, it, you know, when you go places, you'll get recognized and people will be like, hey, you're that guy, you know. I think, I think okay. Mark, I think, yeah, I was going to guess you might go that way. I think you're probably <laughs> one of the few people I know that would do that. But I mean, I mean, you've been you've been in a band, you've been famous in that way before. So, you know, uh, you, you, you already know what it's like. You dabble, yeah, you dabble in the celebrity. Yeah. yeah, I was I was on um, season nine of American Idol and when what? my episode aired, uh, you know, when I tried out and made it to Hollywood, uh, I was like, I couldn't go to the mall without people being like, oh, my gosh, I saw you <laughs> on TV last night. And so I thought that, that felt kind of cool, you know. Do you that still felt. sing? Can you uh, like, no, drop some I, bars? <laughs> no, and no, I'm not that guy. I, I, I uh, got to live my dream for a living, you know, for like all my 20s and then all my 30s has been building a business and, you know, growing a team and, and doing all that, Love which it. has been awesome. So what about you? How did you get into, uh, you know, obviously Cardone uh, is a big name and, um, you know, what, what, how did you get involved with that and, and kind of 
become this uh, expert in your in your field? What has been yes. your journey? Because you look super young to me. You look like a, a kid over here. Who's Thank like, you. You, you want to guess my age? I won't be offended. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. So if I just had to guess, I would uh-huh. say like 25. Okay. Uh, that's somewhat close. I think part <laughs> of it today is like I ha- like I crimped my hair because I, I slept on it funny. So I, I feel like I look younger with this hairstyle. I'm 28. Okay. Um, but I took over my first team when I was 20 years old. I took over this HR and essentially a sales team and we called them professional development. Mm. And it was actually that experience is what made me want to write the book because I had listened to the John Maxwell's and the Jim Collins and I had read all of these leadership books. But when I actually had the experience of sitting down with my very first team and sharing with them what I was going to help them do with the department or what the goals were. I literally had no idea where to start. And I remember Googling like how to have a team meeting as a leader and what the agenda (laughs) is. Like I wanted the tactics and I felt like nobody provided in a cohesive manner, the tactics. Mm. And so I started, I I got this team when I was 20, totally ill-equipped. I did a terrible job. I was the worst leader. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and at the time, my then boyfriend, now husband, like I took over this team. I'm 20. I'm dating the guy who owns the business. Like you can imagine Mm. all of the dynamics there. Uh, and it was failing. And so I, I really like dove into this like real practical knowledge of how do you lead and operationalize a team. And this experience was very scarring for me because I failed at it. I was totally terrible at it. And I did everything that I could read how to do. I probably read 50 books at the time to just figure this thing out. And it turned out the business model, we had some technology issues. And so that's ultimately why we shut that business down. Um, I was 24 when that happened. And when we shut this business down on one side, my husband was selling this other business that was the exact same business model in a different industry. Mm. And he sold it for 77 times earnings. Um, The purchase price was $150 million. So we're having massive success with the same things on one side and we're having total failure. And it was my responsibility primarily for this failure. Uh, And so I learned so much from that. And after selling the business and and folding the other business down, we kind of sat back and said, what do we want to do in this next phase of our careers? And I Mm -hmm. looked up all of the social media people that are out there and I stumbled upon Grant Cardone. And at first blush, I was like, this is not the guy. This guy is a freak. What He's is pretty he, aggressive. What is he doing <laughs> sitting on this jet with his Gucci shoes? I was so turned off. I was like, absolutely not. But then I, I saw his wife, Elena, and I, I could understand him more through seeing the other side of his life. And so with that, uh, I became a fan. I forced my fiance to become a fan. And we studied all of their material and showed up to one of their events and realized that in their audience, they had a lot of business owners, but they Mm. were only offering sales training and real estate investing opportunities. Whereas our expertise in the industries that we were in is helping these business owners that are small businesses, a million dollars annually in revenue grow to 5 million. We, we were very successful in being able to do that. There was this technology thing that would just was a miss in, in this management company we had, but we know the nuts and bolts of the marketing and the financials and the HR and the sales training, the operations to get small business owners to grow. Mm. Uh, And so we partnered with Grant and Elena because we said, hey, we have this opportunity that we could be the venture arm of your guys' business and give us a shot. And they gave us a shot. And we now have 100 team members on our Cardinal Ventures team. We've been in business for about three years now, and it's gone incredibly well. 
that's that's awesome. That sounds like a an adventurous, uh, you know, uh, story. How did you when you so you started when you were twenty? So did you kind of go straight from like high school, the workforce, straight into doing business, or did you dabble in college? I never went to college. I, okay. I took a semester of college, and I was like, all right, this is not for me, you know. And uh, so I just started doing right away. I picked up a camera and started teaching myself, you know, uh, photography and videography and graphic design and just started doing these things. Um, But what was that that. for you as far as like when you were younger, did you always imagine doing, you know, being an entrepreneur or, you know, building businesses or what did that look like? I had that itch. I, and I recognize that now in reflection in middle school, I remember picking up a book called the Starbucks experience and I was just enthralled by Starbucks and how they branded themselves with the green straw, like just as a seventh grader, like Mm -hmm. my mind was open to how brands actually get people's attention. Um, but I was valedictorian in my high school class and I went to college on a full ride academic scholarship and two and a half years into college, I decided to work for this company called Audigy Group, which is the business that my husband sold for the crazy multiple that it sold for. Mm -hmm. And I quit, I quit school. I was like, I don't need, why would I need to learn what I'm learning when I could actually help build something over on this other side? Mm -hmm. That was also a terrifying decision. Uh, and one that I'm very thankful for. It's probably my proudest, (laughs) my proudest decision. up Quitting college. (laughs) Your parents are like, what are you thinking? Oh, they, oh my gosh, my parents cried. They begged (laughs) me not to, and I was financially dependent upon them and they cut me off after that. They're like, listen, if you're going to do this, you have to figure this out. But um, I was making $11, I'm sorry, $8.33 an hour back then when I made that decision. So it felt very risky at the time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's, it was kind of, it, it wasn't this entrepreneurship thing, but it was, I had this interest in business and I saw this opportunity and didn't feel like I needed the the stamp of approval from any collegiate organization to tell me that I could make it or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that, you know, my wife was a division one soccer player in college and, you know, she really values that. And then again, I had kind of a different experience. And so, you know, looking at my kids now, you know, I have three kids and uh, one of them is about to uh, go into high school. And so I'm thinking about like, oh man, he, you know, he, he's going to be in college maybe in, you know, five years. And so thinking about like, well, like, do I encourage him to go do that? Because in the same way I've found success and, you know, finding something that I'm passionate about and then pursuing that. Yep. And, um, you know, finding a way to provide value to people through my skills and then charging for it. And so, you know, there's an element of like, Hey, like, why don't you just go apprentice somewhere? Or like, if you find something you're into, like, you know, go shadow somebody and, and kind of, especially nowadays with YouTube and all the other things that you can learn. I mean, even you want to like make t-shirts, you can buy a screen printing machine for like 400 bucks and start designing and selling t-shirts, you know? So it's, it's a definitely, I think a new era where, I know so many people who have college degrees and are making minimum wage, you know, working at a Starbucks or doing Mm -hmm. something. And it's like, man, like, should have they have been counseled to go to college or should have they, I don't know. It's just, I think it's an interesting question because a lot of people I think do go to school and find value in that. And they maybe grow up a lot and they learn a lot of skills in college, but in the same way, I feel like, is it just throwing your money away, you know, unless you want to be a lawyer or a heart surgeon or something where it's like you really need these technical skills, you know? I For don't sure. Know. I feel the same way. I, if you need it, like both of my parents are medical doctors. They clearly had to go to college and med school in order to be able to do the field of 
their choice. However, I think college, for me anyway, it actually prohibited me from learning how to learn because I wasn't actually interested in those topics. Whereas now today, mm. I would mention to you guys earlier, I took over this marketing department. I've read 10 books in the last three weeks about click funnels and how to write copy and design principles. Like I'm just learning, but I'm a, my ability to actually take on a new subject is so different as somebody mm. who's trying to apply something versus being told you need to take this accounting course in order to graduate. Man, that sounds like so much fun getting to do a crash course and, and learn that much stuff all at once. I would, uh, I would love that. Oh man. Well, so much, <laughs> I'm having lots of fun. So, yeah. <laughs> so much fun That's over awesome. here. <laughs> That's great. You're like totally immersed in it. Well, man, I would I would love to learn a little bit more about what you cover in your book. Do you mind giving us like a little bit of an overview of like the types of things you cover in your book so we can kind of understand a little bit more about that? And then I actually, I, I made a list of questions for you that are like super practical because these are some things like, you know, like I said before, I was like, hey, maybe uh, we can turn this into uh, Ben's free coaching session for his business about how to, how to grow a team. <laughs> so if uh, you're open to that, I'd love to learn a little bit about your book. And then I have actually some really specific questions about growing a team, you know, how to get your team members on the same page about certain things and stuff like that. So I'd love to go through those too. Uh, but first, maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, teamwork. I love it. Yeah, for sure. So teamwork, as I mentioned, I wrote it because I think that people are missing like the practical tool set. I think there's a lot of tools out there. There's like, oh, you need a mission statement and oh, here's a job description. But there's nothing that I found that is from start to finish what a business owner needs in order to properly set up a team and to review a team and to create a culture that operates and hits targets, real financial targets, but also that you enjoy working with these people. And it's not just this crammed down traditional agency model, uh, or even I think of like the big four, like, um, consulting companies, financial firms, where it's just, there's so much pressure and people do it because they want to be able to say on their resume, Oh, I worked at this place, but it's actually a horrible place to work. And so for small mm. businesses, they don't have the choice to be these big brands. They're not Nike. They're not McKenzie. They're not, uh, Apple. And in order to create that, I broke the book into three different sections. The first section is called alignment. So it's all of the things that you have to do in order to truly align a team member. It starts with your mission, your vision, your core values. It starts with how you interview them and the process that you go through to ask them the right questions so that when they aren't actually performing or doing the things that they said that they were going to do in the interview, you have some sort of a mechanism to say, hey, wait, you said this thing. I thought you were interested in this instead of you not knowing and then not having. It's almost like it's not leverage in a bad way, but it's leverage in a coaching relationship, which I believe right. all business owners are coaches to their team members. They're not employers. They're not bosses. You're responsible to be a coach. Uh, the second part of the book is around this development phase. So once somebody's aligned and they get what you're doing, they get why you're doing it, they understand their role and what they're responsible for. In order for a business to grow, you are assuming your team members are going to help you grow it, or you're going to bring in outside team members to help you grow it. But those are really the only two things that need to expand. And those are your only two options within your environment. So instead of just creating a culture where you always have to hire outside talent who are experts, which oftentimes fails in departments because the outside experts blow out your existing team members who have all of the historical knowledge and the relationship with your customers. So how do you get team members to want to develop? And what I was just talking about read books to learn new skills that are valuable that add revenue to the business. So that's what the second phase is all about, how you get people to want to develop. The third phase is transition. 
So there's two types of transition in any organization. There's upward transition, meaning somebody moves from a marketing manager to a senior marketing manager, and then maybe they would move to a director of marketing. But there's this upward mobility in the transition. There's also the second type of transition, which would be having somebody transition out of the organization, either through them quitting or a business owner firing them. And so I talk through why you would do both, but how to make the firing piece just not as emotional and difficult and potentially as drawn out as most business owners really make it because it, it becomes this really heavy thing. Yes, it's so true. You become, I think you so become so connected. You know, I've, I've painstakingly just had conversations with Ben, like, I, I, I think I need to fire this person, but I, I don't know if I should. And maybe I can turn around the relationship or like, you know, it's, it's been one of those things where it's hard to, I think when you're a small team too, I mean, and you said that you work with a lot of businesses that are like a million dollars, you know, um, and so obviously at a million bucks, you're probably you know, a small team of, you know, four or five people, you know, depending. And so you become very close. And so then it's hard, I think, as a business owner sometimes to make some of those difficult decisions or like know when to hire a new person or, you know, when to let somebody go and, and all that kind of stuff. So for sure, you know, what, what what do you see as far as that goes, as far as like navigating some of those things as a smaller company? You know, a lot of our audiences maybe are only two, three, four people, you know, what does that look like? Does it look different being smaller than it is when you're a team of like 20, 30 people? Mm -hmm. I don't think it has to look different if you're smaller than if you're bigger, but what does have to be in place is in most cases, the desire to be bigger. And I do believe that if a business owner thought that they could have if they currently have a million dollar business and they thought that they could actually have a $30 million business and they could be the president or the CEO or the founder of a $30 million business, I don't know why that business owner, if they believed in their product and service, which, which nine out of 10 business owners do because they are good people, I believe that human beings are the best intentioned people. And so mm -hmm. I, I don't assume that somebody has a bad product or bad service or they're just going out there in order to, to be, you know, defamatory to their customers. And so if you really believe you have a good product and service, then then I operate under the belief that you should serve as many people and therefore you have to get big. And so mm. that's what ties to in the alignment piece. If you as a business owner are committed to growing your business and you, you know that you have to serve more people than you currently are, then this setup of a role instead of a person in your organization has to be from the start because when you're mm -hmm. setting up a role instead of just having Joe, your friend, or Joe, the person that you like on board with you, it, it, it changes how they view their role instead of them being so tied into, oh, I'm the best at this thing and I'm so unique and I can, I'm the only person that can talk to customers and that's my value add. Being unique is my value add. In order to get really big, being unique is actually not your value add. Being able to process, document what you do well and to train somebody else how to do it so that you can do the next thing that the organization mm. would require for you to add value, that becomes the game. And if you can teach people how to be excited about doing that, all of a sudden you have this natural learning culture that's looking to add value to the biggest challenge that business owners face, which is how do I add more revenue? How do I get more known, mm -hmm. get more customers in so that we can grow, have more resources to hire more team members and have the team grow and, and ideally make more money themselves? 
Yeah, that's so good. I have I have a whole list of questions here. Do you mind if I like rapid fire them with you? No, I've, I've got. I don't think we can get through all of them if we go too much in depth. But I want I want to understand your perspective I'm on ready. some of this stuff. All right, cool. Let's do it. First, I think maybe I'll start with the hiring side of things. So, here's a question: Is how can you predict or or increase the likelihood that a new hire will be a good fit for your team? One of the most important interview questions I ask is what are your five-year professional goals? And I'm really leaning into this. This isn't just a BS question. It's like, where do you want to be in five years? Mm -hmm. Because if you do not have goals to be a leader, if you do not have goals in order to develop yourself from a graphic designer to a creative director, then I know that once you get in my environment, you're not going to push yourself to learn those skills and to be excited Mm -hmm. about growing and developing. So I have to know on the front end that that person is interested in growth. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's really good. That's, that, and that makes so much sense too, as far as like finding too, if they're a good cultural fit, right? Because as a business owner, you want people who are going to, uh, obviously you're going to spend the money to have them be a part of your team, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're foregoing maybe a raise or something like that for yourself. It's like, okay, I'm going to spend money to bring somebody onto my team. And if I'm going to bring them onto my team, they need to be able to provide value to the business yep. so that it can grow. And if that person is like, well, I just, you know, I'm just happy where I'm at or like, you know, I, I, whatever. Then, you know, like, okay, Bye. you're not really, yeah, you're not willing to like make a sacrifice or, or develop yourself so that you can provide more value to the business that in turn will help us grow. So uh, that's, that's a really great, great question. Even though it's, it does seem kind of awkward to ask somebody and it could even be something as simple of them, like with health goals or just reading books or something, you can kind of get a little breadcrumb of mm-hmm. them wanting to develop themselves and be a better person, you know? Totally. Yeah. Is there any questions you ask to help kind of identify personality? And, and I also wonder if you consider, obviously personality for that specific role you want them to have probably is important, but then also personality and how their personality meshes with other people in the team. Or is that something mm-hmm. you don't consider? And you're like, hey, you just got to figure this out amongst yourselves. <laughs> like if your personalities clash, so like you just have to learn to be professional and deal with that. Like how do you consider those kinds of things? We do have an assessment that we have every applicant take after their first interview. So we have a three-step interview process. Uh, I was responsible for recruiting our first 50 team members. Uh, So I was our head recruiter until April of last year, and then we hired a second recruiter. Normally for a small business owner, I wouldn't say that you should make this assessment one of the first steps, but I was doing this 5% of my time and the other 95% of my time, I was doing what all business owners do, which is operation stuff and sales stuff and marketing and finance and organizing things. So the sooner the better, but assessments like this cost money. So the R3 assessment gives me, I don't, I don't use it to like say, oh, you won't be a good fit for the role, but I do use it to point out to people, hey, we have a fast pace, high change environment and your personality type is such that you want stability. Stability and fast pace Mm. can work together, but the person who wants stability has to be aware that this is the culture and environment that they're walking into. Whereas if somebody takes an assessment and it says, oh, they really like fast detail or they're not into details, but they want fast pace, I'm still actually going to ask them the opposite question. Yes, we're fast pace, but the things that we do have to be executed at a immaculate level. So it says you're not detail oriented, but we need you to be detail oriented because we're trusting you with our clients. Walk me through a time when you were detail oriented and something that felt like it was minutia detail, but actually ended up mattering. So I do use, um, 
what's called an R3 assessment. I would recommend any business owner using like a standard DISC assessment uh, or Myers-Briggs could be helpful. But I do think it's a really important tool to get everybody talking about this personality piece because it's it's a very real thing in a team dynamic. Yeah, we're big fans of the Enneagram. Have you ever heard of the oh, Enneagram? Great. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So there's, um, there's actually, uh, I don't know if you know who Donald Miller is, but he has... Yeah a whole, you know, system, uh, that uses the Enneagram like in a business setting, which is really, really good. So awesome. Yeah. And I would just use that saying, Hey, this is what we are. It's not that anybody is bad. You cannot be discriminatory based off of personality for a role and for a role fit, Mm -hmm. especially because some of the best leaders I know are on a, on their test results. It says that they're shy and maybe more introverted. That doesn't even, that, that doesn't mm. matter. You can still be an amazing leader or salesperson, but you have to recognize what you're walking into and look at those assessments to develop questions as a business owner that you're thinking with, oh, in this person's role, they're going to have to deal with this and their personality conflicts with it. So let's address it in the interview instead of waiting in two months into the role, them finding out that this thing might be an issue for them. Mm, that makes sense. Um, here's a question for you. How do you pitch like an idea or a vision to a team? You know, you're like, Hey, I know this might be kind of hard to sell everybody on it. Cause it's going to be hard on for some people to change and other things. How do you come into a meeting like that? Like, all right, I'm going to, uh, pitch this idea or vision for the future. And how do you get people on board with that? It's just such a relevant question for me right now, Ben, because as, <laughs> as you're, I mentioned, you're coming into the marketing team and you're like, okay, new to marketing, but I also need to lead a team. You got to totally. speak the language. You got to understand what their needs are. You got to know how to make it so that they're excited about it too. So yeah. Um, yeah. How do you usually do that? Yes. So I abide by this framework, but there's also this sentence that I always say. So the opening sentence for me is always imagine a world. I say this to my team. They now kind of make fun of me for saying this, but when you become somebody, exactly. They're like, we're Natalie. (laughs) Exactly. And they like had this hand, like the sweeping hand movement, like imagine a world. But as a business owner, when you actually can be a visionary and execute, you get your team's buy-in that, holy Hmm. crap, this person can do something that I can't do. That is the, this is the core of being an entrepreneur. It's somebody who has this vision for something and can apply the right resources and take risk in order to get there. So I'm constantly telling this brand new team of mine, imagine a world where this end state that I want is happening. So I'm giving them context as to where I'm going before I pitch my idea. And then I make sure that it happens and I have a track record of, of saying these things so that it's not just like I'm coming in there and, and leaders make this mistake all the time. I'm not just coming in and saying, oh, imagine this world. And then it's just never really happens. Like I say that with intention and I'm going to make that world a reality. I sometimes give it a time frame. Okay, three months yep. from now. Imagine a world yep. in three months from now when XYZ happens. Then yep. I'm going to go into this framework three steps. I share with them the vision. So that's like my intro to the vision. I kind of like give like a little, um, preview of it, but the vision is okay. In three months from now, we're going to be working with five different agencies that have these specialties in these specific areas. I move into the commitment phase, the commitment. I'm asking them for what their commitment needs to be, whatever that is. In this particular example, I could be committing to bring me four vendors that you've worked with in the past who were experts in their field so that I'm able to assess, you know, what what their skill set is. The next piece of the commitment is my commitment, 
my commitment to you guys, because if I'm asking for somebody's commitment in any team in interaction, leaders fail at this because they just ask, 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 but they never actually say how committed they are to helping mm -hmm. figure out the problem. So I'm going to say my commitment is I'm going to meet with you guys every week on Tuesdays at four. I'm going to give you guys feedback and go through this vetting process and be really transparent if I don't move forward with one of the vendors that you chose. Uh, the third step is the execution step. That's just the blocking and tackling. So that's where I would maybe say, okay, I'll send a recap later of these four things that we all agreed to. This is what this plan's gonna look like. But usually we tend to do these things as leaders in the reverse order where we just go into the execution of this is everything that needs to happen and we need to do this. And they don't understand the vision and they don't actually understand what your commitment is as a leader or business owner in order mm -hmm. to drive that initiative forward. That's super helpful. Yeah, and I even wonder how much detail that you usually have in a plan when you first present your vision. Because I feel like you need to have some type of plan or people be like, oh yeah, that's great, but how the heck are we going to do that? And I feel like you also have to somewhat anticipate some objections, right? Because you have to be thinking, okay, here's the objections I would have if I were them and let me come up with some answers or potential solutions for some of those things. Like how much of a plan do you feel like is useful? Because I've found in the past that it's nice to bring people along the journey and help you find some of the solutions because they feel more invested in it. But if you don't have any solutions, then they're just gonna be like, this is dumb. Like you're dreaming. You know what I mean? So where's that balance? I think it depends on the type of team that you are asking this of. If this team is a more entry level team, uh, you are going to expect that you are going to be solving more of the problems to mm. to our executive team. It is my expectation that when they present a problem, they are presenting three solutions and all three of those solutions are freaking ridiculously awesome solutions. None of them are sucky, but I'm still mm -hmm. training a, a less experienced team to do the same thing. I, you don't just come to me you don't just knock on my door and say, oh, I had this big client problem and this thing is on fire and then leave it at that. Like, okay, great, what are your three solutions? And then I can help coach that person. All three of those solutions sucked and none of those none of those are very good. Like, did you think about these three things and ask more questions? But I would say the team, um, the salary of the team that you're working with would really depend on how much prep you need to do. The less prep, the more senior the team, the more prep, mm. the more junior the team. All right, we're gonna pause this conversation here. Uh, you go to thefridayhabit.com, there you can find show notes for this episode. Uh, there you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. At the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. If you're not already, make sure you subscribe. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear next week's episode, subscribe so you get notified. Uh, also, leave us a review in Apple Podcast app uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to potentially be on one of our episodes uh, with a question you ask us, go ahead and record a quick message in your phone, voice memo, and email it to hello at thefridayhabit.com. Until next time, live every day like it's Friday. <laughs>